Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland, a church that plants churches, and of Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this week's message, and we hope that this teaching helps you love God and love people better every day. If you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now, enjoy today's teaching. Hey, today we're going to continue our, our series on um, on the life examined. And as, as we've done this, we've talked about the fact that if we're going to have an examined life, we start with knowledge or my worldview. And so we talked about our worldview and how that worldview needs to be altered by scripture, the Holy Spirit, by prayer, all of that needs to come together. We talked about faith and faith is a matter of my trust. What do I trust? What do I trust in life? What do I believe in life? What am I going to lean on? What, what, what am I going to trust when all else fails me, when I'm at the end of my road or I'm at the end of my riches or I'm at the end of my reasons or I'm at the end of my rationality? What am I going to what am I going to trust at that point? Today we're going to talk about character. And uh, and I just I want to take a moment and I just want to say that I believe that character is all about my desires. Character is what happens internally. And and honestly most of us need God, need the Holy Spirit, need Jesus to change our desires. Let me let me just say let me say it this way. If you have a desire to do something and it is not good, it is not in keeping with Scripture or with what God wants, if you, have a, if, you, if you have a desire to do that, you do that. There's an action. This is a bad thing I do. You can, you can by just engaging your own self-discipline, engaging your own will, you can change the action around. But if you don't deal with the desire, ultimately that action will recur. Ultimately that pattern will recur. What you got to deal with is the desire. Character rests at the point of desire and actions are born out of our desires, not the other way around. Sometimes we think we can change the external actions in order to change the internal character. But I don't think that's the way that works. I think you have to change the internal character in order to permanently change the external actions. In fact, let me let me say it the way I heard one person said. No one can consistently act in a manner that is inconsistent with their heart. You can do that for a little while. You you can you can for a time do that, but you cannot for a long time do that. No one can consistently act in a manner that is inconsistent with their heart. Therefore, if you are really going to change your character, the heart must change. The want to must change. If it does not change, then your your actions will ultimately not change because your character has not been changed. Now, that character can be shifted. And part of shifting that character and changing that character is, is being careful with your worldview and being careful with what you trust. You see how these are building on each other. But in the end, I think it takes the Holy Spirit and a move of God, the uh, the presence of, of 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit in order to see that character begin to change. In order to illustrate this, I, I want to read a, again, I want to read a long section of scripture. So I want to take us all the way through Acts chapter 9. And once again, because I don't want to just bore you with me reading it, what I've done is I've, I've asked the team if they'll come together and read this for you. So take a look at this and, and stay with us all the way through Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, from whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is, cho is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Ananias got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So you see in the life of Paul, Paul, here's what I wanted you to capture from chapter nine. And it's the reason I wanted the entire chapter. Paul is a driven individual. There is no way around it. Paul is focused. He's driven. He works hard. He's sold out. I mean, when he is in the beginning of chapter nine, he as Saul is so focused on destroying the church, destroying this, this in his mind, this cult of people who follow this person named Jesus. He's so intent on destroying them. He's asking permission to go from town to town in order to arrest these people. He's asking asking permission to bring, to wreak havoc inside the church. He is committed, dude. He is dedicated. He is driven. That is core to him, to, to who he is. He has to know that. That's going to drive his worldview. His worldview, when we start chapter 9, his worldview is that, that, that the Jewish truth, the Old Testament scripture, the Jews as the chosen people of God are the, is the only truth, and that Messiah has not come. That's his worldview. Messiah has not yet come. Jesus is Messiah. He's not receiving that. His worldview won't allow for that. He then moves over to what he trusts, and he's not going to trust Jesus. He's still trusting in the old ways of doing things. And listen, a lot of you are in that spot where you're not ready to completely change everything because you trust the old ways of doing things. They're comfortable. They may be destructive, but even destructive items can be comfortable in our lives if we've been around them long enough. And so he begins He begins to just, he, he just leans back into that. But he leans into it hard because his personality is such that he's constantly driven. He's out at the front. He's working. He This is a dude that never sits still. I don't know if you've been around people like this. I got, I got people in my life that I'm like, I don't think this guy ever sleeps. And then and, and the truth is, sometimes I don't think they will. I've got one friend who, who's a lawyer and does all these other things. And, and every time I'm with him, he's read every word of every document we ever handed. And I'm like, dude, do you ever sleep? And he said, no, sleep, sleep is for losers. And I, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay, what's well, going to kill you one day? But he, he just never settles down. I, I see Paul this way. He's constantly doing this. He's constantly moving. Something has to change dramatically, watch, inside him 
or he's never going to change direction. So what happens is, you know, God knocks him down, <clears throat> knocks him down on the road to Damascus. And as you saw, Jesus speaks to him. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. That has to be like an oh no moment uh, in, inside of scripture where he realizes he's actually battling against Jesus and Jesus actually is who he said he is. And he actually is risen. And now he is actually talking to Saul. And so you'll be, you, you'll be sent. He, he, he gets sent into town and he says, just wait there. God tells him, wait there. And I will send someone to tell you what you must do. So he's lost all control. He's lost his vision. He's lost his eyesight. He all of that's gone. Then Nathan shows up and prays over him. He can see again. All of that takes place. God has to dramatically change Saul's heart in order to change Saul's direction. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I really want to capture throughout this entire this entire thing. What does not change is Saul's personality. Paul, the apostle, is just as driven and just as hardworking and just as committed as Saul, the Pharisee. But, but, but what's, changed, what's changed is the desire. In, 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 in the case of Saul, the Pharisee, there, there's a, a desire to destroy the church. In the case of Paul, the apostle, there's a desire to to, uh, to, to build the church and expand the church. In the case of Saul, the Pharisee, there's a desire to prove that the Jewish people are an exceptional people and that they, they, are, they are superior to everyone else spiritually. In, in Paul, the apostle, there's this desire to say there is no difference between Jew and Greek and, and slave and free and male and female. There's no difference. Everybody's the same. And the, and, and the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can move on all of us. The, the desire has changed. Not the drive. The desire has changed. And I think that one thing we have to understand is what we want God to change in us is our desire, but he does not have to change our, our, our core personality or our core drive in order to do that. He's just going to, I'm going to use this word, it's a big word, he's going to sanctify the desires we already have in our lives. In other words, sanctify means to be set apart for holy purposes. So he's going to take that energy and that desire you have, and he's going to use it for his purposes. Now watch, I want to show you something. In, 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 in my desires versus God's desires, and that's what has to change. My desires have to become God's desires. I have to chase God's desires, not just mine. In my desires, it is self-centered. In, the, in, the, in, in Saul, the Pharisee, his desire is to continue to build this belief system that says that the Jewish people, and he's one of them, are superior to everyone else spiritually because they're God's chosen people. Listen, I'm not coming against that. That's a true story in the Old Testament. But Jesus changes that. Now, Saul wants to continue that. Why? Because it's to his benefit to continue that. He's already, he's already an up-and-coming Pharisee. He's going to be one of the main leaders. He's been taught by all the best. He is in process. It is, he, he's in the, he, he is in the, 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 the proper current to become one of the major leaders inside of the Jewish faith. Saul, the Pharisee, is working for his own empowerment and his own, he's very self-centered. 
That's true with us. When we don't want things to change, we often don't want things to change because they're working for us. We like it the way it is. We don't want everything to change. But when Jesus comes in, he shifts things. And instead of being self-centered, we have to become other-centered. Watch what happens. When, when Saul the Pharisee is trying to build his career and build his, his reputation among the Pharisees, he is doing this to build his own world. Now, he would say to you, I know I'm doing this because of the law and because of Jewish faith and because of all this. But, but all of that is still just to build his own kingdom in his own direction. When Paul, the apostle, comes out of this experience, he now is focused entirely on Jesus. What, what he says is, everything else I've gained, I count as loss for knowing Jesus. Well, what Paul the Apostle says is, well, he, sa- he says, you know, to serve in this world is one thing, but, but to go to heaven is a better thing. And I wrestle with whether I ought to go into heaven or whether I ought to stay here. You know what he says? He says, it is better for me if I go into heaven. But he says, but it's better for you if I stay here. So I'm going to stay here because I'm going to help you. He's others-centered. That's what happens with this desire shift. When, when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus washes you clean and the Holy Spirit takes a presence, you go from being self-centered to others-centered. You go from being self-serving to others-serving. The truth is we, we, our, our focus moves from us to everyone else. Our focus moves from just our group. Think of, it, think of the Apostle Paul this way. Think of, think of Saul the Pharisee as it's just his group. He just wants to build Judaism. He just wants to build the world for Jewish people. He doesn't care about anybody else. It's just Jewish people, God's people. That's all we're going to worry about. When you get to Paul the Apostle, he's worried about everybody. He wants everyone saved, including the kings that are lording over him that he tries to win to, the, win to salvation at the end of Acts, at the end of his life. He's over and over and over again constantly trying to reach everyone he can get to with the good news of Jesus. He's completely other-centered. He's completely others-serving. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have conflict. He's not perfect. We see conflict in his life. But the truth is that he is others-centric because he is Jesus-centric. And when you follow Jesus and you begin to have Jesus desires in your life, all of a sudden you start to look at others and you start to see them differently. Let me give you one more and then I want to have a little further discussion about this. When you are following my desires, when you're following my desires and not God's desires, when you're following your own desires, that becomes oppressive. Saul is seeking out permission from the chief priest to go and imprison people who disagree with him. Think about that just a minute. He literally wants to imprison people because they disagree with his religious beliefs. Uh, he wants to label people. Mm. He wants to, stay with me now, cancel people just because they don't agree with him. And it becomes oppressive. It becomes, it becomes something that is, that is pressing down change or pressing down difference instead of allowing for the beauty of the difference of people. It, he, he becomes oppressive to others because he's only chasing his own desires. He's only willing to see his own truth. He's only willing to follow his own idea of what God wants to do in the world. He's not willing to see. But when Jesus gets hold of him and says, your way of seeing the world is wrong, 
fact, I'm going to take away your sight. I'm going to take away your vision. I'll give it back to you after the scales fall off your eyes. But between you losing your sight and you regaining your sight, I'm going to reset the way you think. I'm going to change your desires. And instead of chasing the law and chasing your own career and chasing your own place inside of Judaism, you are now going to chase salvation for everyone around the world through the name and the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. And he, he shifts his role, completely shifts his desire. And it went from being oppressive to freeing. You see, Jesus came that we might find freedom. And we find freedom by finding forgiveness in him. And when we, are, when we receive forgiveness from Jesus, we're then able to give forgiveness for people around us. And when we're able to give forgiveness, we get set free from, from hurt and anger and grudges and all these things. We find freedom in, in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Saul goes from trying to imprison people to trying to, trying to make the chains fall off of them. He, he goes to trying to give them freedom. Why? Because God changed his desire. I need you to understand that if... if if you don't change your want to, you won't change your do. In, in, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is writing, and in chapter 7 he goes through all this, I don't understand myself, what an evil, horrible person I must be, because all the good things I want to do, I don't do those things, but all the bad things I don't want to do, those things I do. So if I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do, then I know that evil lives in me. And he goes through this whole thing. It's this huge wrestling match, which frankly, everyone can relate to. And it's just, just this struggle. He ends it by saying, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And then he answers the question, praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he jumps into chapter 8 and he says these words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, their desire has been changed. Their desire has been changed. I, 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 want to, I want to show you something. This is all the way back in Psalm. Psalms chapter 30, 37, it says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Watch, watch this next verse. Take delight in the Lord, listen to these words, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Y'all, Jesus still does that. But there's two, there's two sides to that. He will either stay. Well, watch. Listen to the, listen to the words. He will either give you the desires of your heart. In other words, you're now surrendering to God's desire, God's motivation, God's pressing, God's plan in your life. Or listen to the phrase again. He'll give you the desires of your heart. See, God's a gentleman. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to force you to follow him. He seems to have done that with, with, with Saul. But in general, God doesn't do that. He tries to draw you to himself. But if you reject him, he will give you the desires of your heart. And when that happens, you begin to chase your own desires and you completely reject what God has for you. If you fall into he gives you the desires of your heart, that's a, that's a recipe for failure. That's a recipe for pain. That's a way for a recipe for self-centered, self-serving, and oppressive living. 
But if you'll let God give you the desires of your heart, let him set your desires, that's a recipe for freedom. That's a, reci- that's a recipe for other-centered, other-serving, freeing life, living and lifestyle. I want you to understand that God can change the very desire at the core of you. We, we, we exist, and so I've grown up my whole life in a movement that is called a holiness movement. It's part of holiness. And basically, holiness movement says that your relationship with the Holy Spirit should actually change the way you live. Here's what I'm convinced of. Holiness is not a, a doctrine. It's not a theology of, of, of victory. It's not a theology of victory over sin and temptation. Holiness is a doctrine of surrender. Surrender to the constant voice of the Holy Spirit that is saying to me, Michael, don't do that, or Michael, do this. The more I learn to surrender to that voice, even when my voice, my head, my desires are saying something else, the more my desires begin to be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when my desires are transformed, watch this. The actions of my hands, the the words coming out of my mouth, the desires of my heart, all of those begin to naturally change. Why? Because when you change your want to, your do's automatically become different. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change your desire, and when he does that, he will give you true godly character. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would begin to work in us. Lord, if some of us need a Damascus Road experience, then I suppose that's what I'll ask for. But Lord, what I mostly ask for is that you allow us to surrender to your presence. Let us know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you are, you are the truth, you are the answer, and you are there. Remind us that you are Jesus. And don't let us battle against you. Change our hearts so that our our desire is always for us. And Lord, we do. We surrender right now and say, give us the desires of our heart. Make them your desires. Let us be more and more like you. And we will give you praise for everything you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We really hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every day. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. And lastly, we just wanted to give a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that all of this is even possible. If you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially, just click give for more information. We appreciate anything that you can do to help. Thanks for being a member of our online family. We love serving Jesus with you.